Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. It's our hope that this message will help you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Tonight we're going to hear from the book of Jonah. I hope you guys will turn there with me. Um, And I want to ask you guys this. And I think we can be honest here tonight. How many of you guys have ever responded in a way or said something that you very quickly regretted? Anybody else? Okay, so I'm not the only human in here. Okay. Well, let me tell you, uh, I was um, in Tennessee just over a year ago. And at the time, my daughter was just two months old. And I was guest speaking at a winter retreat. And I showed some pictures of my daughter up on the screen. And I, I, I was there with about 250 Tennessee uh, middle school and high school kids. Now, let's just set the, set the record straight here. We all know. Now, Tennessee people think that we talk weird, right? But we know the truth, right? They're the ones with the accents, not us, okay? So anyways, I, I showed these, these pictures of my two-month-old daughter. She's 16 months now. And I got done speaking. One of the girls approached me and she said in the thickest southern accent I'd probably ever heard, she said, Kevin, your baby is so cute. Now, I could have responded in a number of ways. Unfortunately, I didn't think before I responded. So in a mocking Tennessee accent... I bent over and I said, thank you, just like that. Just, I I don't even know what I was thinking. Thankfully, my accent must have blended in enough that she didn't notice. And uh, I kind of like, oh man, I'm surrounded by 250 of them. I can't mock them, you know. And so I eventually got out of the way and and everything was okay. I don't even think she realized what I had done. But uh, tonight we're going to look at the fact that your response to God is crucial. And we're going to see that through the book of Jonah. If you guys haven't turned there already, go ahead and do so. Because the book of Jonah is filled with unexpected responses. It's filled with them everywhere we look. And we're going to look at five of them tonight. Because this was a huge learning experience for Jonah. In fact, many people believe that Jonah himself wrote the book of Jonah after this all transpired. And you could tell if, if that's the case, this must, he must have learned a pretty big less, lesson that, uh, over these few days. James chapter 1, I'm sure you guys have heard it, tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because it tells us if we, if we hear the word but we don't do it, it says that we're deceiving ourselves. In other words, the joke is on us if we hear it and we don't do it. But it's not a joke. Unfortunately, though, a lot of people treat it like a joke. Jonah was one of them. We're going to see a few different responses tonight. But here's the thing for you guys to remember. Church is great. Coming here to a great church like this is is awesome. Fellowship, worship, Bible study, all of those things are great. But it's how you respond to those things That's the issue. What do you do with what you're being taught? When you walk out of here tonight, how are you different? What's different about you? If you're in Jonah, uh, look at chapter 1. We'll read the first two verses. We're going to cover all the verses tonight. We don't have time to go real in-depth, but we'll look at all of them tonight. Starting in chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, 
Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, when God speaks to us, we have two choices. We can listen and act, or we can ignore. And we all know what Jonah did, verse 3. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. If you guys are taking notes, the first response we see tonight is, number one, Jonah running from God's call. He gets the call and he takes off running. Now, this is immediately, this is, we've only covered three verses here. And immediately we have this reaction of starting to rag on Jonah right away. This is a prophet. Come on, Jonah, you're God's representative. Where are you going? It's time to obey. And of course, he should have obeyed. We all know that. But let's see what he's up against against Nineveh. Because a lot of people know that Nineveh was a pretty wicked city. But if you really look into it, you could understand a little bit about why Jonah would not want to go there. It was a big place. It was a wicked city. In fact, in verse 2, God calls it a great city. It was big. Genesis chapter 10, you can read about the roots of Nineveh. Um, many scholars believe that it was a group of about four cities, uh, kind of like, you know, like a New York City kind of thing, where there's a group of cities that became known as one city, and that was Nineveh. So about four cities. Um, in chapter 3, verse 3, we'll read it later on, we find out that it's a three-day journey to walk from one end to the next, or maybe to walk around it. Took, it would take them about three days to do this. Um, later on, at the very end of the book, chapter 4, verse 11, it says um, God tells Jonah that Nineveh has a population of about 120,000 people that live there. Now, you guys know in the Bible, most of the time when they numbered people, they normally only counted the men. So if you think that there's 120,000 people there, in reality, it suggests a population of about 600,000 people that lived in this city of Nineveh, which would be similar to the side of Albuquerque. So now you can try to put yourself in Jonah's shoes and imagine if you were given the task to go to this city, one person against maybe five to 600,000 people. Jonah was a little outnumbered, wasn't he? This was also the capital of the Assyrian Empire at the time, which made Nineveh the most powerful city in the whole world at this point. This was the city. If you wanted to be somebody, you lived in Nineveh. In fact, today, it's the modern city of Mosul, which is the second largest city in Iraq with 2.6 million people. That's where it stands today. But not only did God call it a great city, he referred to the people there and their wickedness. Their wickedness. These were evil people that lived there. Genesis chapter 10, I'll take you back there real quickly again, back to its roots. It was founded by a guy named Nimrod. Yes, Nimrod. And this guy founded this place right after he founded another place that you've heard of, I'm sure, called Babel, where later on they would build the Tower of Babel, which would receive harsh consequences from the Lord. So, you know, from its very roots, this place was evil. It was an evil city. They were known for child sacrifices, for witchcraft, torturous, inhumane treatment of prisoners. They were known for, for being terrible, wicked, evil people. In fact, it's been said 
This place was so wicked that Sodom itself had nothing on Nineveh. And we know what happened to Sodom. It was destroyed by fire by the Lord. Genesis chapter 19. Sodom, however, it's been said, has nothing on Nineveh. And in fact, in the Bible, this place was known as the most wicked place imaginable on earth. This is a bad place. It was huge, but it was also very evil. Well, Jonah decides he's not up for the challenge. He says, no, I don't want to go to a big city like that. I'm completely outnumbered. Uh, This is a very wicked place. So we read in verse 3, he boards a ship, headed to a place called Tarshish to get away from the presence of the Lord, it says. We're going to put a map up here on the screen and you can get an idea of where he's headed. You can see that Jonah's hometown is about three miles northeast of Nazareth. Nazareth, of course, is Jesus' hometown. Nineveh was about 500 miles northeast. You see it there on the map. Tarshish, however, was about 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Which would mean if he arrived in Tarshish, he would be about 3,000 miles away from where God had told him to go. Now just to put it even further into your minds, 3,000 miles would be about the distance if you drove from San Diego, California to the state of Maine. That's how far this guy was headed to get away from the Lord. Tarshish was at the southern tip of Spain, and it just so happened that the southern tip of Spain was at this point believed to be the edge of the known world. Many people believe that if you sailed past this point, you would literally drop off of the face of the earth. That would be a mighty shipwreck, wouldn't it? But they believed if you sailed past this place, you would drop off the earth. Do you see what Jonah's doing here? He came up in his mind not just to run a little bit of ways, but to run as far away as was humanly possible. There is no further place in his mind than he could go than to this place. No place on earth was further away than Tarshish. He's running from God's call. But little does he know that God's going to get him there whether he likes it or not. Let's pick back up in verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, threw the cargo that was in the, in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down, and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? Now check out his response. Verse 9. So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. What a reaction. These guys finally figure out that it's Jonah's fault. They ask him about it. He has a great opportunity to share his faith, except for the fact that his life doesn't line up with what, is, what he's saying. His feet aren't matching his words. And he says, I fear the Lord God of heaven. Really? Really? Because it doesn't look like you fear him. 
When he tells you to do something and you fear him, you follow that. You're obedient. But he's running in the opposite direction. And here's the thing. The world has seen too many fake Christians. They're tired of them. We've, we've done enough to defame who Christ really is. And the world's seen enough of it. They need to see reality. What does a real Christian look like? What is somebody who says they fear God really, how do they live? Because we've seen enough of people who say it but don't live it, just like Jonah. Let me just say this. If you're a Christian, but you're not living like it, do me a favor. Don't tell anybody, okay? Keep it a secret. If you really call yourself a Christian, but you don't want to live it, don't say you're a Christian. Because that, all that does is trash the image of Christ in so many people's eyes. And it makes, it makes the job that we have ahead of us, those who want to help others see what the life of a Christian is really like, that much harder. So Jonah responded wrong. We see him now running from God's call. He's on his way to run away as far as he can humanly get away from God. And it's ironic that the unsaved sailors that we're about to read about will be the first people in Jonah to respond correctly to God. Even Jonah, God's prophet, doesn't do it first. It's these unsaved men who don't even know the Lord who respond correctly first. As we read uh, verses 10 through 13, we'll get there in just a moment, but I want you guys to picture this because this is in the middle of a raging storm. A raging storm so bad that these, these men who lived almost on a boat were scared that they were going to die. Waves crashing, water pouring into the boat. They've already thrown everything they have overboard. It's floating in the sea. Some of it may be coming back onto the boat with waves. There's storms. There may be lightning. There's rain. These, these guys literally think they're going to die. Try to picture this conversation going on in the middle of all that. Verse 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, Why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea. Then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that this great tempest is because of me. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not. For the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Not good. We see a a second response here. Number two is recognizing God's control. We saw Jonah running from God's call, and now we see recognizing God's control. And we as humans love control, don't we? We have remote controls for everything, you know? I don't know about in your house, but in my house, when the remote control goes missing, oh man, it's an all-out search, right? I mean, you turn off the TV so you can find the remote. That doesn't make a lot of sense. In fact, I realized this last night. I was laying in bed and I was like, man, we haven't watched TV in our bedroom for like a month. And then I realized we don't know where the remote is. We won't get out of bed to turn the TV on. We have not watched our TV in our bedroom for over a month because we don't know where the remote control is. Maybe you guys have have, uh, come up against this. I was watching a DVD a while back and... 
you, you guys know all the, you know, like the FBI warnings that come up at the beginning and the, you know, sometimes there's previews or whatever, and you're hitting the menu button because you just want to play the movie. You don't care about all that stuff. You've read it a million times. You've seen those movies. You don't need to hear about them. Well, I, I noticed as I was sitting there on the couch, like frustrating, frustrated, hitting the menu button that this little thing kept coming up on my screen. It was basically telling me no. Because you know what I'm talking about? The little symbol pops up on the screen. Every time I would hit it, menu, no. Menu, no. I was like, you're my DVD player. Don't tell me what to do. I own you, you know? I wanted to have control over this thing. But we resist control from outside sources, don't we? We love to have control. We love to be in control, and that's why so many people struggle to follow the Lord because they realize they're not in control anymore. They have to give that to the Lord, and that's hard for a lot of people. It was hard for Jonah. But recognizing God's control is what it's all about. And it's very evident, as you'll see if you haven't already, that God is in control throughout this whole book of Jonah. The moment Jonah runs, verse 4, God starts the storm. All right, there goes Jonah, push the storm button, and there it goes. And there goes the waves and the wind. Verse 7, I find it interesting, they cast lots. I mean, this is like rolling dice. And it just so happens that it lands on Jonah. God's in control. Verse 12, Jonah says, fine, you want to be done with this whole storm? Throw me into the sea. I wonder if Jonah would rather die than go to Nineveh says, fine, you know, if God's going to do this to me, throw me overboard. I'm done with this. He's given up. Throw me overboard and, and the sea will calm down and you'll be rid of me. But these guys don't want to kill him. So they start throwing their own stuff overboard. They start rowing really hard. Nothing happens except things get much worse. They have to do, do something. They're going to die. Look at verse 14. Remember, the storm is still going on. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord. Interesting that these unsaved men cry out to the Lord before Jonah does. We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Verse 16, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. What an interesting reaction has happened here. Jonah had a great opportunity to please the Lord. He says, I fear the Lord, the God who made the heavens and the seas. And he had a great opportunity to prove that through his life. To go to a place that needed the gospel to share about God's judgment, but also about God's love. He had a great opportunity. He blew it, though. He ran in the other direction. And here we see men who don't even know the Lord as the first ones in this book to cry out to the Lord because they realize God's in control. And even though Jonah says he fears him, his life's not lining up with that. And they respond immediately. I find it very interesting that it says in verse 16, the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice. Do you remember where they are? They're on a wooden boat. Sacrifices involve fire. Wooden boat. Okay, this isn't good. This is bad. All the mothers are thinking, oh no, this is bad, right? Well, 
Here they are responding in, in the only way they know how we need to offer this God a sacrifice. So right there on the boat, thinking they're going to die, they surrender all to the Lord, cry out to him and offer a sacrifice. Right, as, at, right after they've, they've tossed Jonah overboard. Well, meanwhile, what's happening with Jonah? Look at uh, verse 17 in chapter 1, and then we'll read through chapter 2. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with, with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. We see a third response here, and that's respecting God's command. He ran from God's call. They recognized God's control. And now he begins to respect God. He says, okay. God's commanded me to do something. I need to do something about that. He finally comes to his senses here. And this is one of the turning points in the book of Jonah. And we get a feel for what he's gone through. None of us have any idea what it's like to be in the belly of a fish. But Jonah does. And as we read about his prayer, we get an idea of what he went through. In verse 2, it says that he cried out from the belly of Sheol, he says. It feels like hell in here is what he's saying. I, I thought I was dying. I thought this was it. Verse 3, cast, he's cast into a deep sea. It says that floods are surrounding him. He's being pounded by waves inside the belly of this fish. Verse 5, he describes how he's drowning. He thinks his life is over. He has seaweed wrapped around his head. He can't see. He's probably nauseous. This is a terrible situation to be in. Chapter 1, verse 17, we just read that Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then we read the very next verse, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. As I was reading this, I realized, did it really take three days and three nights in the belly of a fish for him to finally pray? I mean, read that he was there three days and three nights, and then he prayed. I don't know for sure if that's chronological, but did it really take three days for him to finally say, fine, God, I give up, you're in control, get me out of here. He finally did. God finally got his attention. And a lot of people will say, well, you know, I don't know about this whole story. I think it's impossible for somebody to live this long inside of a fish. Let me give you a few things to remember about about that argument. First of all, this is the Bible we're reading from. 
Be careful when somebody says, I don't know about that. When the Bible says it happened, it happened. It's the bottom line. Second thing to remember is that Jesus refers to this later on in Matthew chapter 12 as an actual historical event that took place. In fact, he refers to this as a, as a reference to one of the most core beliefs as a Christian, and that's the resurrection. He says, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, I'll be in the grave for three days. Jonah emerged and so did Jesus. And if Jesus refers to this as an actual historical event, I think we can trust him. I think this really happened. And, and another thing to remember is that it actually is possible for this kind of thing to happen. Um, now, obviously, this doesn't happen very often, but I was, I was actually doing a little research about whales, large mammals. Uh, and according to the National Marine Mammal Laboratory, the largest blue whale they've accurately weighed weighed 196 tons. Blue whale. That's 392,000 pounds. Okay, the, the lung capacity of these animals can be about 1,300 gallons. Their lungs can hold. Their tongue, get this, weighs about three tons when they're fully grown. Can you imagine? No, you can't. That's a huge tongue, three tons. Fully open. Their mouth can hold up to 100 tons of water and food. Almost half of their body weight. In 1933, um, it's, it's reported that a whale was caught off the coast of Cape Cod that was about 100 feet long. Its mouth was over 10 feet wide. And it has nasal cavities. Inside of a, a whale, they have multiple stomachs and, and nasal cavities. And one of the nasal cavities they measured, I would hate to have that job, wouldn't you? But they measured this thing seven feet high, okay, it's about six inches taller than me, seven feet wide, and 14 feet long. It's about 98 square feet. Jonah could have done jumping jacks in there. There's plenty of room for him. And this is just one example. Again, back to that verse, chapter 1, verse 17, it says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Bottom line, even if it's impossible, nothing's impossible with the Lord. And if he decides that he wants to use a fish to swallow somebody, then God can do that. I mean, when have you ever heard of donkeys speaking? Except for when you read the book of Numbers, right? Sure, it's impossible. Absolutely. I've never heard a donkey talk, and I hope I never do. But God made it happen. And it's the same with Jonah. He took, God took whatever steps were necessary to preserve Jonah's life but also to severely get his attention. He didn't want to kill him because he still wanted him, wanted to use him to deliver his message. But he took some drastic steps to get his attention. And that's what he did. And I think it's ironic as well that the fish responded more obediently than Jonah, God's servant, did. When God told Jonah to go somewhere, he ran the opposite direction. When God told the fish to go somewhere, he did it. He swallowed the prophet. And God was really getting his attention now. I mean, imagine, just try to imagine what this would have been like inside the belly of a fish. I don't know if we can fully imagine it, but we could try to paint a picture. Dark, 
wet, humid, at times swimming in who knows what, digestive juices, slimy walls, skin probably bleached white from from these digestive juices, clothing being eaten up inside of this, this animal, the sound of sloshing water, the smell of fish surrounded by possibly millions of smaller sea creatures, a constant up and down and up and down. You get the picture, right? There's a lot of motion sloshing around coupled with all of those other things we just talked about. I can't imagine what Jonah was going through. A disgusting place that none of us would ever want to be. But very quickly, God gets his attention and he respects God's command. And he gets actually another chance at responding. I love that God gives him another chance. Chapter 2, verse 10 into chapter 3. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. What an interesting verse. I have a 16-month-old daughter. And I've puked. And I've seen puke. But I've never been puke, okay? (laughs) Jonah was puke. It wasn't that he got puked on. He was the puke, okay? Coming out of this fish. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Does that sound familiar? Came back from... Chapter 1, we already read that. Verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Finally, some obedience from him, according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, as Jonah preaches, something amazing happens. Unbelieving people respond to God better and quicker than he did. Chapter 3 again, verse 5. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. This is the king, and he's mourning in sackcloth and ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, and let every one turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. We see our fourth response here, and that's responding to God's compassion. Because in the middle of this proclamation of judgment, they understand that there's a possibility that God might not bring that judgment down on them. And so they repent, they change their ways. What a response. I'm sure Jonah was not expecting this response. Remember, Nineveh had this reputation of being the most wicked place on the face of the earth. I'm sure the last thing Jonah thought was that they would turn around from their sins. Surely he thought he would die when he went to Nineveh by being tortured to death because of his message of judgment. 
Remember, he was severely outnumbered, one to maybe five, six hundred thousand people. He didn't stand a chance unless God did something. I always thought when I've read this book, um, without really diving into it, I, I, and I never really looked at the geography when I was first reading this book a while back. And, you know, I was, it, it always just makes it sound like uh, from chapter 2, verse 10 into chapter 3, that when this fish spit Jonah up on the land, he spit him up onto the shores of Nineveh, and, Nineveh, and, and he walked into Nineveh and began to proclaim this message. Well, here's the reality. Nineveh has no shores. It's completely landlocked for hundreds of miles. Wherever this, this fish spit Jonah, he, at a minimum, had about four to 500 miles to walk through the desert to get to this place of Nineveh. I, I almost like to think that God made the fish spit Jonah up on the same dock he left from, you know? Like, hey, Jonah, remember this dock? Could have been a lot easier journey for you had you not rebelled. But he easily had a two and a half, three week journey ahead of him to walk to Nineveh. He had plenty of time to think and to pray about what he was going to say. But notice his sermon. We just read it. Chapter 3, verse 4. He says this. Here's his sermon. You ready? Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's all we know that he says. This is not a polished three-point sermon. He didn't start with an opening illustration or even gather a crowd. He proclaims this message, you know, and I can just picture him after walking two and a half, three weeks, clothing possibly eaten up, probably still a little bleached white from being inside this animal, funky looking guy at this point, gets out to the city and I can just picture him kind of psyching himself up like, okay, Jonah, you got this, you got this. You got to do it, right? He's expecting probably to die for his faith here. But he knows he has to obey. He's outside. And, and maybe he runs into the city screaming. Yet 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. Suddenly, there's a riot, I picture. Running, screaming. This is it. Jonah says, I'm done. They're going to beat me up. Here it goes. But he finally realizes what's happening here. They're all crying out in repentance. His short sermon here has changed their lives. What's going on here? I think it's interesting because in English, you can read his sermon. It's about eight words long. In the original language, it's five words. Five words that we read, he, read to the, he said to these people, and it changed their lives. They repented because of their sin. That's the power of God's word, isn't it? I mean, there's, I, I talk to people sometimes, you know, they say, well, I don't really believe in, in talking to people about the gospel because I, you know, first off, I, I just try to live my life and don't get me wrong, that's a great thing to do. But they'll, they'll also say, but I'm just not great with words. Well, neither is Jonah. And God changed a lot of people's lives through him. Trust in God, trust in his message, be obedient and you'll be amazed at what God's going to do through your life. If you'll trust in the Lord. Trust that he'll use your words. But also your life needs to match up with it. Thankfully Jonah had a couple weeks to think about that. So the king has this amazing reaction. And he proclaims. Uh, he finds out about this judgment. And he proclaims a citywide fast. Not only, an- not only people but also animals. 
He says, nobody eats anything or drinks anything. We need to pray. We need to cry out. He tells them to abstain from evil. Don't do it. And so he proclaims this fast. And the Ninevites respond. These people, these evil, wicked people, they respond as they look to God's compassion. He says, maybe there's a possibility that God might not judge us like he said he's going to. Let's take every day we can and cry out to the Lord that he'd forgive us. Because I don't want to go down that way. And how does God respond to their response? I love it. Verse 10, chapter 3. Then God saw their works. I love that he says works. Their outward actions, not just their words, but their works. That they turned from their evil way. And God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Well, I wish we could close the book right there and end happily ever after. But unfortunately, that's not the case. Because we still have our our fifth reaction that we're going to look at here in just a moment. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord! Was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? I would say probably not, but look at verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. Here's our fifth response, and that's rejecting God's care. As a pastor, I read this passage, and it just blows my mind. Jonah is a prophet from the Lord. He's proclaiming God's message. And their reaction is what I live for as a pastor. To proclaim God's word and see people's lives changed. That's why I do what I do. And here Jonah is, he has this incredible revival that takes place in this city. But what's his problem here? He gets angry at the Lord. He gets angry at God's mercy and his compassion. Now why would he do that? Well, Nineveh, we we talked about, was the capital of Assyria. And Assyria was where many of the enemies of God's people, Israel, lived. These are the last people probably on the earth that deserve God's compassion. They don't deserve it at all. They don't deserve God's compassion, his care, his love, his mercy. They deserve to be destroyed. And I think Jonah wants to see that. In fact, we read in verse 5 of chapter 4 that he went outside, he sat outside of the city to wait and see what would happen to the city. Come on, please explode or something, you know? He's waiting. God's God's judgment has to come down. He, He wouldn't save these people who are his people's enemies. Well, thank God Jonah's not in charge because he's full of anger and bitterness And definitely not near as much mercy as God has. And if Jonah can't see God's control yet, he gets three more chances, just in the next three verses. Uh, Verse 6, And the Lord God prepared a plant. There's another thing he prepared. 
and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned, the next day, God prepared a worm. Here's a third thing he used. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. Here's a fourth thing that God prepared. He's in control. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. This guy's suicidal because the people turned their lives around and the plant that was shading him died. He wants to give his life now. And God uses these things to remind Jonah of his mercy, his love, his compassion, that he has a plan even for these people. Listen to the care that God has for, the, for even these wicked, evil people. Verse 9, then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? God says, who are you to be angry about that? If you can care about that little plant that grew up and died and you did nothing to make it grow, If you can care about that, can't I care about 120,000 people who are living in the city and don't know that they're living the wrong way? Can't I care for those people? And I love that he even adds in their livestock. That's how much God cares. Not just the people, but their very animals, he cares. When Jesus said that God so loved the world, he wasn't kidding, was he? Every person ever born, God has an undying faithful love for a love that will never end Romans 8 we find that nothing can ever separate us from that love what a compassionate merciful God we serve and I love the fact that God spared no cost whatsoever to send his message to the last people on earth who deserved to hear it He could have told Jonah, hey, get up, go to Nineveh, preach this message. When Jonah ran away, he said, you know what? God could have said, forget it. Those people in Nineveh, they're never going to change. They've done enough things. Just let's not worry about it. He could have let Jonah go on a cruise. Have your your way, Jonah, if if that's what you want to do. But no, he spared no cost. He saved his prophet. He got his prophet's attention and he dumped him back on the land and told him to go back where he told him to go. And he gave him the same message to proclaim. He spares no cost at reaching out to us. And didn't he prove that through his son? If there was ever a higher price that God could have paid than giving his only son, I believe he would have done it for us. But there was no higher price. That was it. And it wasn't enough for God to write us a letter, although he did. It wasn't enough to just say it to us, although he did. But he proved it by sending Jesus his only son to die. And Jesus proved his love by giving up his life, by sacrificing it for us. So my encouragement to you, don't reject God's care. 
For even the person who you think will never accept the Lord. I can't believe what that person has done, you might say. You think God can't save them? You're wrong. After all, what have you ever done to deserve God's love? What have I ever done to deserve God's love? None of us could ever earn that love. And so who are we to pass that judgment on other people? I hope you're able to see that your response to what God calls you to is crucial. It makes a big difference. And I want you guys to put yourself in a category here because every one of us, I believe, in this room fit in in one of three categories or we can find ourselves in one of three characters in this book. First of all, I think we could, many of us could find ourselves in Jonah, can't we? Running from God, God has told us what to do. But we respond only to God when he has to force us to do it. We don't want to do it. In fact, if it was up to us and we could choose death over doing what God told us to do, we would do that. Maybe that's where you are tonight. God will get you there one way or another. Maybe you're like the sailors. Jonah told them what to do. They knew they needed to toss them overboard. They knew that would cure their problems, but they didn't want to do it. They didn't want to do what they knew to be right. They procrastinated until they had to. They had no other choice. Is that where you guys are tonight? Is that where you find yourself? You know what you need to do. You just don't want to do it. And you're putting it off. I'll do that. I'll take care of that tomorrow. I'll fix that broken relationship next week. I just don't have the time. I don't have the energy to put into that right now. Are you procrastinating? Don't wait like those sailors did. Or maybe you find yourself like the fish. God told him what to do and he responded obediently immediately. Which one are you? Are you Jonah? Are you like the sailors? Or are you like the fish? Are you being obedient? Are you procrastinating? Or are you completely turning your back running from the Lord? I, he- I heard this quote that I want you to write down if you have a pen. It says, Our smallest obedience is better than our biggest intention. Our smallest obedience is better than our biggest intention. And here's what that means. We could sit in this room tonight and we could plan for hours. We could stay till midnight. Oh man, I have all these goals. Uh, When I get home, I'm going to do this and this and this and I'm going to get this out of my life and I'm going to fix this and I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to read my Bible every day. And we can have all of these guidelines and these these things that we anticipate and intentions for our lives. But if any one of us walk out of here tonight and we go home and we do nothing about what God told us to do, we've completely wasted our time. Why come if we're not going to do anything about what God tells us to do? We could plan for hours, but God wants our obedience. He doesn't want just our intentions. Those can be great, but if you don't act on them, they lead us nowhere. We've wasted our time. Unfortunately, the story of the, the Ninevites don't, doesn't end well. It does in the book of Jonah, but you only have to flip a couple books to the right, the book of Nahum, to figure out what eventually happened to these people. They repented, they started to do the right thing, but they quickly backslid into their old ways. And about 150 years later, God sent severe judgment on this city. And it lies in ruins today. And it's a good reminder that it's not only about our first response to the Lord. It's about staying strong. 
Because many of you say, well, I've already responded to the Lord. I've followed God. But where are you now compared to where you used to be? Are you making progress? Imagine this. Imagine if you were walking into church tonight and you met somebody in the parking lot. You notice they were kind of banged up a little bit, bleeding. They, They must have just been in a car accident, you think. And you say, hey, are you okay? Do you need me to call 911 or anything? And they say, no, I'm fine. I got a pack of Band-Aids in my back pocket. Now you think they were crazy, right? Well, why don't you do something with those things? You you look terrible. You're banged up. You're bleeding. You're bruised. He says, no, I got a pack of Band-Aids. I'm fine. No worries. Well, that makes no sense at all. Because if you don't apply the Band-Aids, they do no, no good for you, do they? But it's the same with God's word. If you don't apply God's word, it does you no good. And there's a lot of people in here tonight who walked in spiritually wounded. You've just been beaten up. You've been in an accident spiritually. And you're wounded, you're bruised, you're beaten, you're bleeding spiritually. You don't know where to go. You don't know where to turn. Your marriage is falling apart. Your relationships in your life are falling apart. You're getting back into drugs, alcohol, sex. So many things that pull people down. And spiritually, you're wounded. If you don't apply God's word, it will do you no good. We have to do something. And just like we started out by by talking in James chapter 1, that if we hear it, but we don't do anything about it, we're deceiving ourselves. And tonight is your chance to make a decision. At the end of the service, we'll have people available, pastors available to pray with you, to counsel with you. If you're going through something tonight, if you find yourself as Jonah running from the Lord, now's your night to change before God has to get your attention in a drastic way. If you find yourself as as one of those sailors procrastinating, come up for prayer so we can pray for boldness that you would do what you know you need to do. Tonight's your chance. God has a plan for you. How will you respond when he tells you to? Let's pray. God, we're just so thankful that we serve a loving, merciful God. I just, I I can't even put that into words how great that is. And Lord, I I just ask that you would draw us into your presence. um, Remind us how awesome you are. And we see your compassion and your mercy in the book of Jonah. We see this man who is rebellious, but you still gave him a second chance. And we see these evil, terrible, wicked people who nobody wanted to give a chance to, and you gave them a chance. God, give us a second chance tonight. I pray for anyone in this room who doesn't have a relationship with you. Lord, let tonight change their eternity. I pray for those of us who have a relationship with you, but we're running, we're procrastinating. God, let tonight be the end of that. Help us to turn our lives around and focus completely on you. Jesus, you're what life is all about. Remind us of that tonight if we can't already see. And help our lives to always line up with what we say. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this service from Calvary of Albuquerque. If you would like more information about what you've heard in this message or about Calvary of Albuquerque, please visit our website at www.calvaryabq.org. If you have made a decision to follow Christ or would like someone to pray for you, please leave a message with our prayer watch line at 505-344-3658. Thank you and God bless.